Thanks for joining us on the Father's House Podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online simply by going to thefathershouse.com. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week. Now let's go to this week's message. Well, good morning. I want to say a special good morning to our online church. Don't want you to ever think that you're alone. And before we get started, as Jennifer was singing and and instructing us in just being still in the presence of God, I really felt that somebody that was watching online just felt so alone that you didn't know what you were going to do. You didn't know what you were going to do next. Maybe even sitting there wondering, is life really even worth it? We want you to know that we love you. We stand shoulder to shoulder with you. And please, if you need to talk to somebody, just reach out, put it there in that chat. And, you know, I'm so honored to be your freedom and care pastor here at the Father's House. We'll get back with you this week, set up a time where we can talk, either face-to-face or over the phone or over Zoom. Just want you to know that God loves you. Amen. Amen. Well, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Pastor Tim, and I am the freedom and care pastor here, and I'm honored to stand in this platform today. Let's bow our heads before we start, please. Father God, I ask that you would please just speak through me today, Lord. Um, Help me to say your words, Holy Spirit, and not things that I should not say. Lead and guide us. Open our ears and our hearts to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay, so we are continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and I hope that you've been enjoying it. I know I've been learning new things. That's one of those... um, kind of parts in the Bible where you've probably read it a bunch of times and you think, yeah, I pretty know it pretty well. But Pastor Terry has just been enlightening us, and I hope today that God speaks to your heart. So our text today comes from Matthew 6, 19 through 34. But before we get into the text, treasure hunt. All right, that is what we're going to be speaking about today, treasure hunts and treasure hunting. So we got a chance to kind of share our favorite treasure hunt movies. And, um, you know, kind of from the beginning of time, adults and kids alike, we all like the mystery and the intrigue of a good treasure hunt, the clues, the danger, getting the prize, maybe wealth, who knows what will happen. How many of you, let me take you back, either shook the Cracker Jack box or put your hand down in the cereal box to get that toy or prize that was there. And mom was like, don't put your hand in the cereal. You don't dig it all around for it. We want to win that prize. Hollywood knows this. That's why treasure hunt movies are so popular. So once again, it is time for Pastor Tim's top 10 list. And this is my top 10 treasure hunt movies. So I start off with an honorable mention between Excalibur and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. (laughs) They are the same movie, just attack it from different sides. Excalibur is a little dark. Monty Python is just a great, fun, funny movie. At number 10, I have Romancing the Stone. At number 9, one that you might not... Romancing the Stone? Nice. All right. Yeah, finally. Somebody connects. All right. (laughs) At number nine, I have one that you might think probably wouldn't think of as a treasure hunt movie, and that's The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Clint Eastwood movie. Remember, though, they get together, and in the beginning, they're searching for $20,000 in Confederate gold. At number eight, I have Pirates, Curse of the Black Pearl. Number seven, um, The Rock and the Rundown. 
Uh, number six, national treasure. I know that's high on a lot of people's lists. And my list kind of changed over the two weeks that I was writing this up and down. I watched a couple movies this weekend, and probably because they were so fresh in my mind, they kind of got bumped up on the list. And this was one. Uh, my great trainer, Al, mentioned this one to me this week, and it's Uncharted. And I rewatched that. Yeah, yeah. Uncharted actually is a really great movie. I had forgotten how good it was. Then I watched another one um, this weekend, Sahara, with Matthew McConaughey. Come on, all right, all right, all right. Come on, right? Yeah. And um, so number two, I have The Goonies. Love that movie. And in number one, uh, just has to be Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Just has to be. Come on. That is the ultimate Win, save the girl, win the world, get the treasure. You know, win the girl, save the world, all those things rolled up into one. That's just a great movie. So all of those movies, though, have one thing in common. Treasure equals wealth, which equals money, which is something that a lot of people desire in life. But you might say, well, Tim, that doesn't balance up with the Bible because we all know, right? The Bible says that money's the root of all evil, right? Is that what it says? No, no, it's not what it says. 1 Timothy 6 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. And we see all throughout the Bible. We look at Abraham. We look at Job. We look at Joseph. And these were all men that were very wealthy. The key to their wealth and success was that they used their wealth to further the kingdom of God and to help others, especially in their time of need. We're going to look at Joseph, how he did that in just a little bit. But for a more thorough explanation of this concept, I'd like for you to go to our website and search our archives for um, the series, I Didn't Say That, that Pastor Terry taught, and look for June 12th. He's going to talk a lot about um, the love of money. But Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talked a lot about treasures and treasure hunting. We're going to start looking at that starting in verse 19. He said this, don't store up your treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy. Thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. It's a pretty profound statement in the end, right? Wherever your treasure is, that's the desire of your heart. So as we look at this, and um, I hope you're taking notes today. I hope you have your note sheet. And we are going to look, and I'm going to let my buddy Pete um, kind of help us out with the very, very first um, note here. So let's look at Pete. I want you all to say this because that's my, that's my other one that really wasn't, I didn't want to put on the list because I didn't want to give it away. But, oh, brother, where art thou? It's a great treasure hunt movie. So let's say this in our best Pete voice. Do not... Seek the treasure. But for our purposes today, we're going to tweak that a little bit, and you'll see it there in your notes. Do not seek the earthly treasure. Say that one with me. Do not seek the earthly treasure. As we refer back to the text, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures. The idea here is hoarding, okay? In the Greek, it kind of reads this way. Literally, it says, do not treasure treasures. 
It's kind of a play on words that Jesus was using. It just means a treasury or an abundance of something. Could be finances. It could be goods. Could be resources. But we know that all of these things are subject to the economy. They're subject to fire. They're subject to storms. Or they're subject to thieves coming in and taking that from us. Andy Stanley, in his teaching um, in the Balance series, says that he and his wife never buy anything that they're not willing to loan out or give away. Let that sink in for a minute. Never buy anything that they're not willing to loan out or give away. I'm not sure I'm there yet. I'd like to get there, and I'm striving to get there. When I read that quote or when I heard Andy Stanley speak that, I started going through some of my stuff, and I was like, yeah, that'd be all right. Yeah, that'd be all right. Yeah, that'd... Whoa, whoa, no, 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 not, no, no, not that one. You know, I'm looking through some of the collections that I have, and it's like, eh, I might give that gun away, but no, no, not that one. But, you know, as I was preparing this, God spoke to me a whole lot as I was preparing this and really began to speak to me about, are, am I more interested in earthly treasures or heavenly treasures? So let's kind of keep continue to explore that. So we need to put our money to good use, doing God's work to expand his kingdom, to help those that are in need. That's what um, our change goes for. This month it's going for breast cancer awareness, but we use change, we say here at the Father's House, we use change to change the world. So we want to um, build up our account in heaven where it's safe. There's no fires in heaven, no hurricanes, no thieves, and your treasure will be waiting there for you as your heavenly reward. And, you know, God's interest rate is so much better than any interest rate we can get on earth. Matthew 19, 29 tells us this. And not only you, but anyone who sacrifices home, family, fields. We could also say um, money, cars, homes, firearms, whatever your collection might be, okay? Anybody who sacrifices that, and I'm going to add for the kingdom, because of me, he says, because of me or for the kingdom, we'll get it back a hundred times over, not to mention the considerable bonus of eternal life. Now, before we get too far, that does not mean that we should not plan ahead, okay? No, just the opposite. God shows us early on in the word in Genesis that planning ahead is wise. He tells Joseph this when Joseph is second in command over Egypt, and there, there had been prophesied that there would be seven good years of crops and followed by a seven-year famine. And God said, then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years, have them gather all the food produced in the good years, and just bring it to the Pharaoh's storehouse, store it away, and guard it so it will be there for the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come into the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Well, God may not provide you with such a perfectly clear picture of your future like he did for Joseph and Egypt, but we see in this passage and other passages that saving money is God's will for us for our future. And uh, because we need to look out for expenses that we know are coming or expenses that we don't know are coming, such as college, retirement, as well as other costs like maybe your car breaks down or fixing a leak in your roof. I want to stop right now and especially speak to all of our, our young people, especially those of you that are under 30. And this is a principle I really wish I was able to grasp 
when I was younger. It's a simple principle called 10-10-80. Simple. We tithe 10%. We save 10%. And then we live on the 80. Think about that. Think about that now where you are in life. If in the very beginning when you first moved out, got that job, got that apartment, began to acquire things that you needed. If you had tithed 10, saved 10, and only and always lived on the 80. So whatever rent you had was based on the 80. Whatever car payment you had was based on the 80. Whatever mortgage you eventually got was based on the 80. Go home and do the math and figure out how much you'd have in savings. Young people, I encourage you to do this 10, 10, 80. So, you know, you may say, well, if we're not using our money to please ourselves, what should we use it for? Our point number two tells us this. We need to use our money for eternal purposes. And, you know, that makes perfect sense, using our money for eternal purposes, because Jesus has already told us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So if we're using our money for eternal purposes, that's where our heart is going to be. We're going to be geared toward helping those that are in need. Got a little bit extra, as they always tell us um, during our giving portion. Our tithe is 10% of our increase, and offerings are anything over and above. So we all have a choice. Once we give our tithe and we see what's left over, we have a choice. Should we give to, to a specific offering? That's why we often have different offerings here at the Father's house. We just got done doing the, the vest for the dogs. I mean, that was great. As we come to the end of the year, we'll talk about our legacy giving. And so there's always a place where we can help others or we can hoard it for ourselves. It's really our choice, but God is telling us to lay that up for eternal purposes. I have another quote here by Andy Stanley I'd like to show you today. And this one's really powerful. It says, giving up something now, for something better later, is not a sacrifice, it's an investment. Now, we may, we may think about that in earthly terms, as I'm putting so much into a 401k or an investment. But God is speaking, Andy is speaking here about what God would want us to do, something on a greater, more eternal scale. So when we give up maybe buying that thing, and we take that money and we invest it into the kingdom... It's not a sacrifice. We're investing for lives. There's a return on that as people can come to know Jesus. And then also, again, we're laying up and storing up treasures that are in heaven. Sometimes, though, it's hard to see. What are those eternal purposes? What is that something better later? How do we do that? How do we see that? Our next point clearly tells us how to do that, and that's to focus our gaze on heavenly treasures. What are we focused on? Matthew 6, and 23 says this, Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Let me stop and go back there. I didn't say this in the first service. And if you think, and if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. 
Sometimes we can get to a place in our life where we don't see the darkness around us because we're so comfortable in the darkness. We're so used to being in the darkness. We're so used to the pain. In, in, in counseling, sometimes we, we run across situations where people want to find freedom and healing, but they run back to what's comfortable and what's normal, what's become the new normal for them. The old um, story, um, Br'er Rabbit, right? Please don't throw me in a briar patch. And that's exactly where he wanted to be because that's where life was comfortable for him. So if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Now, it's one thing if we're struggling with an emotional problem, but what if that darkness is sin? And we've become so used to and so comfortable walking in our sin that we don't realize how far we've gotten away. That's just a little extra today. God just downloaded into me now. So if your eyes are the lamp of your body, let me just ask you this. How's your vision? How are you seeing out there? How are you spiritually seeing? Are you clouded by spiritual cataracts? Or do you need a little Holy Spirit for your spiritual glaucoma today? What do you need today? Are you nearsighted? That is maybe preoccupied with stuff, with self, with indulgence. Focusing again on earthly treasures, on material things that can fog your spiritual window. It can dim the light that's coming in. So it prohibits you from seeing. Kind of like the rich young ruler in Mark 10. We read this in Mark 10, 17 through 22. And this is from the message. And he went out into the street, and a man came running up, greeted him with great reverence, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, Why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. But you know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Honor your father and your mother. He said, Teacher, I have from my youth kept them all. Jesus looked at him hard in the eye. And loved him. Learned something new. I love learning something new when I read the Bible. I've read over this passage, and this passage is in three different Gospels. Mark is the only Gospel in which it says, and Jesus loved him. A couple reasons for that. The first one is this, that Mark is the Gospel that we really know that shows the personal side of Jesus, his more interaction on a personal level. But as I was reading over this and I was praying, I was like, God, what? Something got to be something more to it than that. I mean, just something more to it than Mark just, okay, I'm going to include that. Now, I don't know about you, and if it's only me, well, I guess maybe I need to have a better chat with God. That um, sometimes when I read the Bible and I read Jesus' response to people, sometimes they almost sound a little sarcastic and a little quick. Like um, when he was, um, what, at the wedding, and they said, you know, your mother and, and your brothers and sisters are outside. He was like, y'all are my brothers and sisters and my mother. It's like, whoa, okay. And this one here, I've always read it like this. This is the picture I've always had in my mind. So Jesus already knows that this rich young ruler is not going to follow him. He knows the response already. And so he tells him, hey, you're supposed to follow the commandments. The rich young ruler said, I've already done that. But Mark says Jesus loved him. I said, God, why, why did you include that in here? This is what the Holy Spirit said to me. Holy Spirit said, because especially we as Christians, 
when we stray away or with our actions, our thoughts, or our deeds, disrespect or don't show the love of Christ, he doesn't back away from us. He still loves us. He doesn't kick us to the curb for mistakes. Even when things come out of our mouth, our actions may even act like we're turning our back on him. I think of Peter. Jesus continued to love him. So he loved this rich young ruler, even though he knew in advance that he wasn't going to follow him. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. All of your wealth will then be heavenly wealth and come and follow me. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear, and he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and would not let them go. What are you holding on tight to today? What is it that God's been saying to you or Jesus has been telling you to let it go? Could be material. It could be emotional. Could be any number of things. Ask God, what am I supposed to let go of and make sure that I'm focused on eternal things? It could be the opposite, though. Are you farsighted, hoarding every penny and minute of your time to make more pennies for that retirement when you can sit back and just say, hey, I'm going to take it easy and I'm not going to do anything with my money but enjoy it myself? I'm not drinking coffee, it's throat coat. Thank you, Sean. Trouble with my throat a little bit this morning. Bible says, then he told them this story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. That's great, man. The story starts out fantastic. Bible says, he talked to himself. Probably his first mistake. All right? I don't know about you, but I can pretty much talk myself into anything that I want if I really, really want it. I can rationalize my behavior. I can rationalize my words. I can play that conversation that I know in my heart was not godly over and over and over and over in my mind to the point where I was right. I said exactly what I should have said. So he talked to himself. See, here's the mistake. He didn't have godly counsel. He didn't have godly men around him. He wasn't in a life group where he could have said, guys, man, I had this great crop. I think I'm just going to build some bigger barns, and I'm just going to keep my money. And his buddies are saying, yeah, save some of it. But, you know, we're trying to put together this trip to go down to Fort Myers and, you know, help them out. Maybe you could take some of that crop and do that. He didn't come to the brotherhood breakfast and sit around with a bunch of men that could tell him, hey, man, we're so happy and we're so thankful and, and you've done such a great job and maybe help us on how we could get more so that we can put all of our money together to further the kingdom. No, he talked to himself only. What can I do? My barn isn't big enough for the harvest. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I can hear him saying it. Hmm, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all of my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made and can now retire. Take it easy. Have the time of your life. And then God showed up and said, fool, tonight you die. And your barn full of goods, who gets it? That's what happens when you fill your barns with self and not with God. We've all heard it said that the eyes are the windows of the soul. The condition of a window determines the quality of light that enters into that room. If the window is clear and undistorted, the room will be bright and you can focus on what you're looking at outside. 
But if the window is colored or frosty, dirty or obscure, the light will be dim and dull in that room, and you won't be able to see the danger that may be lurking outside of your home. So here's the question again. How clearly do you see? Is there anything blocking your view? Kind of like our friend Ernie's house here in My Cousin Vinny. We'll just put up the picture. We couldn't play the clip because they don't let us play some of these clips. So set the scene here. This guy was a witness that said he saw these two particular utes. <laughs> Break in and rob and kill the clerk at the, at the um, Suds store. Okay, so um, Vinny here is the defense attorney. And what he says, he's taking pictures. So he's asking Ernie, what's this rusty, dusty, dirty-looking thing over your window? And it's a rusted screen. And he's also told him that his windows are dirty. And it comes down to it, and he says, so you can be absolutely sure looking through this dirty window, this rusty screen, through all these trees with these branches. And what are the things on branches? My boy says, mm, leaves? Yeah, just shout it out when you know it. And all these bushes, and you can be sure that it was these two young men that robbed that store. Or did you just see two guys get into a car and speed away? Now, it's a funny clip, but is that us? Is our gaze so, is our windows to our soul so rusted and, and dirty that we think we are seeing and hearing what God is telling us to do. And we find ourselves consistently struggling, not knowing why things are always going wrong in our life. When we're not focused, we can't see clearly because of all the things that we have in our life that are clouding what God wants to speak to us, what he wants to show us. What we focus on will determine how well we see. Does that make sense? It's kind of like shooting. What are you aiming at? Or just as important, what are you using to aim? We have open sights. And if your eyes are getting older like mine, and you just have an older pistol with just a blade sight in the front, sometimes that's hard to see. So for us older guys, they then invented fiber optic sights. Nice, man. They're great in the daytime. <laughs> and then, how about this? Night sights, man. They glow at night. How great is that? Or laser sights. Got a laser on one of your pistols, and it's really cool, except you really find out how much your hand does shake when you got that laser on there. Or a micro red dot. Now you can have a, a, an actual sight on, on, on there. But the point of that is it helps us to aim. What in your life is helping you to aim at the target that God has set for you? What is it that you have good around you? Is it friends? Is it life groups? Are you in the word? Is it prayer? Do you have something that's helping you aim at that target? Or are your eyes so clouded over that you need to clean them? My little dog, Mickey, cleans his eyes, and he's got these sharp claws, and sometimes I'm, I'm amazed that he doesn't scratch his eyes. He cleans his eyes and his ears. And this is what he does. He lays down his side, and he's scritching like this, and he looks at it, he sniffs it, and then he licks it off, right? Yeah, yeah. But what he's doing is cleaning that off so he can then re-clean the eye. Think about that. What in our life do we need to clean out of our eyes or our ears so that we can clearly see what God wants for us? Maybe it's time we, we wipe the crud from our eyes. And you know what I mean. 
all the unhealthy and ungodly things we allow our eyes to gaze on. The media that we take in, what we're looking at on that computer screen, the movies that we're watching, even now so some of the television shows that we're watching, or what we're listening to, a little song, be careful little ears what you hear, be careful little eyes what you see, those little children's songs ring true in our adult lives. We need to be gazing on the things of God. And one of the ways that we help you do that here at the Father's house is through the use of a corporate devotion with the Bible app. Everybody have the Bible app on their phone? It's a great app. Do you know what it reads to you? You probably knew that from the very beginning, right? I had it on my phone for three years before I found out that it actually reads to me. So here at the Father's house, we do corporate devotions. And I'd like for you to take out your phone. Go to the Father's House website, and we are going to scroll up until you find our next devotion that starts tomorrow, our next Bible reading plan, and it's going to be a really, really good one. We just finished the Beatitudes today, and the next one, scrolling up, scrolling up, there it is, 30 Days of Thanksgiving and Worship. So I'd like for you to click um, join together with the Father's house, okay? Let's join together. And the reason we join together is this, because at the end of the reading, there's a place for you to put your comments. And how about if the comment that you put is the encouragement that somebody needed today? The, the comment that you put is the light that shines into somebody's soul because maybe they didn't see it exactly the way that you saw it. So Matthew 6.24 tells us this, and this is kind of the bottom line principle verse, that no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So the bottom line in our next point is this, who owns you or what owns you? No one can serve two masters. It's a basic principle of life. In 1979, Bob Dylan told us that. He said, well, it may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. That rings true even today. And may, may I add to Bob Dylan's quote, full-time. See, there are no part-time slaves, right? You can't be a slave and a business owner, okay? For those of you that own businesses, you own the business, and so you are running the business. If you are a slave, you are totally and controlled by another's will. You can't serve two masters. You cannot be a part-time Christian. Have you become enslaved to a lifestyle? Have you become enslaved to pursuit? Have you become enslaved to the temporary pleasures, pleasures to the storing up of riches, or to a relationship? Or does God own you today? Are you serving him? Is he your master? What is your master passion? What is the goal you are trying to reach in the kingdom? And sometimes, even in trying to reach the kingdom goal, life can get stressful, right? Just because we're on the kingdom path doesn't mean that everything goes away. So life can get stressful. So what is the cure when life gets stressful? It's our next point. Say it with me. Don't worry, be Joyful, you got it. But I want to know how many of you who are like the super go-getters and you always finish your test first in school, pre-filled out the answers and, try, and already filled out happy. I know a couple of you out there pre-filled those answers out. But it is joy. There's a difference, especially in God's kingdom, between happy, happy, happy and joyful. 
And again, for a more, more thorough explanation of this concept, go to the website, back to the I Didn't Say That series, and on May 8th, Pastor Anita did a fabulous job of teaching us the difference between happiness and unhappy, happy, happy, and being joyful and having the joy of God in our life. So the answer is this. Jesus spoke this in Matthew 6, 25 and 26. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink, enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Now, again, another thing, and I and, and I'm give honor to Pastor Terry as he sent me some notes as I was crafting this, and um, what he showed me in here was that this is a command. Jesus actually commands us to stop worrying. He tells you, this is why I tell you not to worry. And in the Greek language, it, it, it's written like this, to stop an action that's already going on. I guess Jesus really knew human nature. It's as if he said, I know you guys are going to worry, but stop it. Stop it. Do not worry. Because as he says in Matthew 6, 27, can any or all of your worries add a single moment to your life? No. You're not going to add anything to your life by worrying about it. In fact, for most of us that do worry, it probably does more harm to us mentally and physically than it does good. It's no good at all. It's a fruitless activity. And I'd like to test your memory on this. And again, before I do this, I am not trying to dishonor any of you that went through something horrific last year. But for most of us, can you tell me what you were worried about exactly one year ago today? Again, if you were going through something tragic, I'm, this is not mean to, dis, to, to dishonor you. But most of us couldn't figure out what we, were, what we were worrying about a year ago, six months ago, a month ago. Some of us, last week, we couldn't really remember. We just know that we were worried. God's saying this. He's looking down, and Jesus is saying, stop it. Just stop it. You're not doing yourself any good. Now, you may say, Tim, those are really easy words to say, just stop it. But how do I stop it? What is the cure for the anxiety that causes me to worry? It's in the Word. We take everything back to the Word of God. Matthew 6, says this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Jesus is saying this to us today. Live by priorities. First things first. So what's first? God his will, his kingdom. Jesus says, I'll make you a deal. If you make your priority my stuff, it's Jesus' stuff, he will make his priority your stuff. All these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom. If you're thinking about spiritual things, how to expand the kingdom, how to win people for Christ, and how to further your life and your finances to work in the kingdom, he promises you that everything that you need will be added to you. In 2010, art collector Forrest Finn hid a treasure worth $2 million in the Rocky Mountains. And Rocky spanned multiple states. And he put the clues out in a poem that he had published. Prior to being found in 2020, thousands, thousands of people searched for this treasure. Many people were arrested in public lands 
and in connection to burglaries in private homes where they think other people had clues. People were calling it the greatest modern-day treasure hunt ever. But do you know that five people died while searching for this treasure? The FBI got involved. It was, it was Google it, check it out. It's, it was something that was just really kind of crazy. But people were looking for something, this treasure, but it would only give them a temporary earthly pleasure. This treasure was not going to do anything to secure their eternity. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me today? First, I'd like to talk to all of us that are believers out here. We are following Christ. We love Jesus. He is living in our heart. But you know, I got a question for you, and that question is simply this. What you looking for? Huh? What is it that you're looking for? Which treasure have you been seeking? The world's or God's? And again, I'm not talking about you've left your salvation, but what have you been seeking? And if any of you would be honest and say, hey, Tim, pray for me that I begin or revive a heavenly treasure hunt today. I've got to tell you that God really dealt with me a lot during this about what my priorities were. Was I seeking his treasure? Or was I seeking things that I want? Was I spending more time on the phone with my brother talking about the latest firearm that we're both looking at? Instead of asking him, Jim, how you doing? What can I pray with you about, man? What's going on in your life that I can stand by you spiritually? And so today, as I raise my hand, if anybody out there would say, Tim, yeah, hey, I really need to refocus my, my, my things on, on heavenly treasures instead of earthly treasures. We're going um, to pray together today. See a couple people raising their hand, and I appreciate that. We're going to bind together and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just ask you right now that we would focus our gaze and our eyes on you. Lord, we're serving you. We love you. But it's easy to get caught up in, in things, wanting things and the stuff and all that, everything that goes on around us. So, Lord, I ask that you would burn in our hearts and in our minds that purpose. Let us be purposeful to get up in the morning and ask you, what's my task today so that I can expand your kingdom? What can I do today to invest in a heavenly treasure that helps bring others into the kingdom of God? Second question, as you keep your eyes closed and your head bowed, some of you may be saying, Tim, you know, it sounded pretty good, but you're talking about heavenly treasure. I'm not even sure I am ready to go to heaven. I'm not sure that if I walked out of here today and died, that my eternity, I would go to heaven. Anybody here would just be bold enough to say, I'm not going to embarrass you. You see before, the prayer before, all we did was just pray one for another. Say, hey, Tim, for the first time, or, you know, I've kind of wandered away from, from, from Jesus and I've kind of let things go. And today I want to make that definitive stand. I want to be purposeful to say I want my eternity sealed. See, the Bible is the greatest treasure hunt book ever written. It's the greatest treasure hunt map. And the final clue to the greatest treasure, which is your eternal life and a relationship with Jesus, was sealed and given to us when Jesus gave his life for you. He died on the cross so that you and I would be forgiven of our sins. So if there's anybody out there who would just raise their hand and say, Tim, include me in that prayer. I want to make sure my eternity is sealed. I see a couple hands going up. Thank you. Hands going up all over here. I thank you very, very much. Thank you, ma'am. 
And you know what I said earlier about family when we had our prayer time? It's the same now. We are family. And no one should ever say this prayer alone. So together as family, would you pray this with me? Dear God, I thank you for giving me the clue to the great treasure. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I want to give my heart to you. Forgive me of my sins. And as best as I can, I want to serve you. And I want to invest in heavenly treasure. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to help you continue that journey. To find out what your next steps are in your relationship with Jesus, all you have to do is go to thefathershouse.com forward slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and make disciples.